So my son, Caleb, got a key to the church. Why are you laughing? <laughs> what could go wrong with that, right? Uh, so pastor's kids don't get keys, all right? Uh, he is an unpaid intern in our youth ministry. Interns don't get keys. But he needed to make some money as well, and so he's one of our new part-time custodians. Custodians get keys. And so, yeah, good for him. So as soon as he got that, uh, he texted this picture to our family group chat, to which I responded, oh, crap, <laughs> or something to that effect. Uh, so why keys? Keys represent power. Keys represent control. They represent access. You, you control who gets in and who gets shut out, right? Th remember the time when you were a kid and mom or dad gave you a key to the house and you're like, I'm a big deal now, right? Or when you got your first car keys, wow, right? That's power. Keys represent power. But I'll tell you what, there is a key that is much, much more powerful than any of those. And it shows up in our passage today. We're doing this series where we're going through the uh, seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation. Jesus wrote these letters, had John write them down, really, and sent them to these seven churches. And we come to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Well, obviously, this letter is to the church in Philadelphia. Now, that's not Philadelphia on the east coast of the United States. Different Philadelphia. This is ancient Philadelphia. You can see it on the map here. Uh, it's under the word Asia there, kind of a little bit down from that. You see it there. It's ancient uh, Philadelphia is, now that's Asia or on the map, but we would call it Turkey today. Okay, that's in Turkey. And we've already covered all the coastal towns, all the cool towns, right? Now we're inland. And so they probably had shirts in Philadelphia that said stuck in Philly, right? You know, like Ohio, you understand, right? We get it, we get it. Not a cool town. But that's where they were, Philadelphia. Well, one thing to note about it, it was on a volcanic plain, now, there were pros and cons to that. All the volcanic ash meant it was very, very fertile. So they had, like, awesome vineyards. They were known for their wine. They, were, they had great, great growing ground. Uh, one of the downsides, though, one of the cons are all the earthquakes. That's all. Just earthquakes, right? From the volcanic activity, they had a lot of earthquakes, and it had leveled the city on several occasions before Jesus wrote this letter to them. That will become relevant a little bit later. 
Another thing that we uh, might have heard in Jesus' letter is the similar to Smyrna. You remember Smyrna, the, there was a large influential Jewish population persecuting the Christian church. Same thing here in Philadelphia was happening. Now in our letter, Jesus says that they are, call themselves Jews, but they're not. They're liars. So these are genos, Jews in name only. J-I-N-O. These are genos. They're, they're not like, and Paul echoes this sentiment in Romans chapter 9. Look at verses 6 to 8. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. They're genos. They're Jews in name only. And what the genos wanted to do is they wanted to shut the Christians out. They wanted to shut them out of the synagogue, shut them out of the temple, shut them out of the faith, shut them out of the Messiah. They even wanted to shut them out of the city. There's one problem. They don't hold the key. They don't have that power. They don't have that key. And so that takes us to talking about Christ. So that's the church. Now, remember, Pastor Jared told us that every one of these letters gives a snapshot of Christ. And when we look at the letter, we read that he is perfectly holy. He is perfectly true, which means he and he alone has the authority to hold that key. And so what he does is he opens and no one shuts. He shuts and no one opens. So this is an open door, closed door. Some of you are into open door, closed door type of thinking and planning for your life. be honest with you, I'm not a real big fan of that approach. It does give us some wonderful memes like this one right here, right? When God closes a door, he opens a window. That's called breaking and entering. Okay, just so you know. Somebody closes their front door, you sneak in through the window, B and E, like you get arrested for that. This is B and E on the will of God right there. I'm just saying. There's other good memes like this one right here, same phrase. Now two things here. That window doesn't open. And he's on like the 50th floor, that's suicide. Like, come on, that's not, that is not good, that's not right at all. I don't think uh, open door, closed door stuff is what's being taught in this passage. But while we're on the subject, be careful that you're not looking for an easy path with that kind of thinking, right? Like, remember, the Apostle John is the one that's writing these letters down for Jesus. Remember, he was boiled in oil. He was forced to drink poison, and he didn't think that was a closed door. He kept going anyway. So here's what I want you to catch. Look at this. A difficult path does not equal a closed door. That's that's not the same thing. And we are people who are called to take the gospel to the world. We're supposed to take the gospel to our neighbor. And I'll tell you, it's a difficult path, but it is not a closed door. We're supposed to do it. Now, you apply for a job and you don't get the job. I get it. Sovereignty of God, that's a closed door. But a difficult path does not mean a closed door. Granted, not really what it's about. What this, if you look at the passage, what this is really about is the key of David. What in the heck is the key of David? Well, the key of David is the authority to admit or to exclude from the kingdom of God. Like that's a big deal, and only, but only Jesus holds that key. 
And what he says is he put before these people an open door that no one can shut. Now, over and over throughout the New Testament, when it refers to an open door, it's almost always talking about the gospel going to the Gentiles. Those are non-Jews. That God has opened the door and welcomed them in. And not only Gentiles, but broken people and messy peoples. And, And the Genos did not like it. They did not like it at all. They're thinking, we belong to God. God loves us and only us. Not you Christians, not you Geno, excuse me, not you Gentiles. And so the Genos want to kick the Christians out. They want them out. And Jesus is like, um, you don't hold that key. I open and no one shuts. I shut and no one opens. Listen, Jesus, nobody overrules Jesus on this issue, period. And so the Genos would learn that they could not shut the door that Jesus opened, that the Gentiles, Christians, are in. They are loved by Jesus. They belong to Jesus. And here's the thing. People can make it difficult for you to come to faith in Jesus but they can't close that door. People can make it difficult for you to walk with Jesus, but they can't close that door. A difficult path is not a closed door. Jesus holds the key of David, and he welcomes you in to his family, and nobody overrules Jesus. Now, what do we do with this? Well, (laughs) we'll get to that in just a bit. First, I want you to catch, though, how Jesus commends this church. Remember, uh, after uh, giving a snapshot of Christ, each of these letters gets towards some commendation, some way that he commends the church. And what, what he does here is he says, you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Little power. Uh, scholars speculate that this was maybe a small congregation probably made up of mainly slaves and poor people. They had very little power in the city. By contrast, who had the power? Genos. The Jews in name only, they were certain that they were God's people, were the righteous ones, were the faithful ones, were the true ones, and it is our responsibility before God to do his work to stamp others out, to use our power and exert our power to silence others. And so they were mean, they were not loving, they were shutting others down. So easy to judge them, isn't it? So Christians, let me ask you something. When you go on social media, are you more like Jesus or are you more like the Genos? Because remember, Jesus opens the door and welcomes people in. But I think even though we claim the name of Christ, sometimes we're so little like him, and we go on social media, and what do we do? We are certain that we're the people of God, and, and we, can, we, we really, we're the faithful, we're the true ones. God loves us, not you. And, and then what we do is we, we're, we think we're doing God's work by stamping others out. We exert our power to silence other people, and we're mean, and we're not loving, and we're shutting others down. That is what the Genos did. It's not what we're supposed to do. And so what we see is life becomes a lot about power. All about power. Man power. Girl power. Black power. White power. Know your power. 
Never give away your power. Can I just tell you? Jesus doesn't put much stock in your power, but in his. It's all about the power of Christ. And that might be encouraging to some of you. Some of you probably feel like you don't have very much strength. You don't have very much power. I've got good news. God has given you all the power he wants you to have to accomplish all that he expects you to accomplish for his kingdom. Quit worrying about power that you don't have and just be faithful with the power that you do have. God doesn't expect you to use power he hasn't given you, but just to be faithful with what he has given you. And evidently, these Philadelphian Christians were doing exactly that. They had very little power, but Jesus had opened the door to them. They went in through that door. They became Christians, and they were now faithful, and they were uh, saying true to his word. They were obedient, even though it was inconvenient. You see, it's very simple. I didn't say it's easy. It wasn't easy. It was difficult. A difficult path is not a closed door. But it was very, very simple. They just said, look, look what Jesus said about them. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's it. Okay, but what's that mean? Remember a couple weeks back when I went through the letter to the church in Smyrna, and we talked at the end about the bishop of Smyrna. Remember Polycarp? Gave you his story, how he was martyred. What a stud for Christ. And we taught, When Polycarp was martyred, there were 11 Christians from Philadelphia that were killed right alongside him. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. They were serious. They were legit. And when Islam swept through Turkey, there was one church that stood and stayed faithful, and believe it or not, it was the Philadelphian church. They had little power, but they stuck. And their testimony continues to this day. It's crazy. So let us be people like them, that we keep his word. So when God calls something sin, we won't apologize for that. We don't correct the scriptures, the scriptures correct us, period. And Jesus said that, He's the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And we say amen. We will not deny his name. But, and this is a very important but, but we do it with gentleness and with love and with sacrifice and with godly character because we are not called to power. Jesus is. Jesus is called to power. He holds the key of David. And he will never, never call us to kick down a door. Open or close, that's up to him. Now, what, what Jesus usually does in these letters, after he commends them, you know, next he gives the criticism. Except in this case, he doesn't. There are only two of the seven churches where there was no criticism. I happen to get to preach through both of them. I think God is trying to help my, my public relations, like make you the nice pastor, Rick. Okay, good. Thank you. I need the help, Lord. Thanks. So instead of criticism from God, the criticism was coming from the Genos. It was Gentiles. You Gentiles, you non-Jews. God couldn't possibly love you. God couldn't possibly welcome you in. You couldn't possibly belong to God. No way. And yet, Jesus had opened that door, 
and he had welcomed them in, and they were his kids. And so what does it say? It says, Behold, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. So cool. Some of you have heard things like this. You can't possibly belong to God. There's no way God could love someone like you. You can't be a real Christian. You know why? Because you're an addict. Maybe you're an active addiction. Maybe you're a recovering addict. There's no way God could love you. Maybe you're divorced. Really? Maybe there's some past sin. Maybe you've had an abortion. There's no way God could love you. Maybe you struggle with same-sex attraction. Get out. You don't belong here. Maybe you've heard things like that. Maybe you enjoy a beer or a glass of wine. Gasp. Maybe, maybe you smoke like cigarettes. Yeah, no way. You're a real Christian. Tattoos, piercings, weird hair. Maybe you're poor. Maybe you're of a different race. Maybe you're of a different political persuasion. Maybe you cuss like Shannon McKee. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, not you, but still. You get the idea. Listen, all that means is you're messy, and redemption does messy. Redemption does messy. You don't fit the cookie-cutter mold of a good little Christian, but I'll tell you what, God opened the door to you, and you walk through that door, and you love Jesus, and you're one who knows him personally. You're growing in your relationship with him. He's changing you from the inside out, not the outside in. And you're going to advance his kingdom. And so you let others talk. Here's what Jesus says. I'm going to make them come, bow down at your feet, and they will learn that I love you. You belong to me. He loves you. And that's just the first half of the passage. This is starting to become about belonging and promises and permanence. Let's, let's look at the back half of it. It says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is the charge portion, and, and it's just chuck full of promises. What he says is, I am coming soon, and I will keep you from the hour of trial. Now, what is that? Because, look, that doesn't mean that Jesus won't allow his children to go through suffering and even martyrdom. Eleven of them already did. doesn't mean we don't have hard times. What the hour of trial means is that is God has stored up his wrath, and he will pour it out on that, in that moment on Satan and his demons and those who belong to Satan. That means your name's not written in the book of life. You have not gone through that door. You do not belong to Christ. And so the wrath gets poured out, and God is saying, listen, if you walk through that door, you belong to me. I love you. I'm taking you home. 
I will keep you from that hour. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. He'll take you home. So what he says in the charges, he says, hold fast so that no one may seize your crown. They go, time out. I thought this was about permanence. How can I lose my crown? You can't. They can't actually take it, but don't you dare let them take it from your heart. Right? Jesus has already said they're liars. And they, people are lying to you when they say God couldn't love you. God doesn't want someone like you. And when you believe it, you allow them to take the crown from your heart because you start to listen to them. You say, don't let them do that. Quit believing those lies. Listen, what we need to do is renew our minds almost daily with how much God actually loves us. Some of us fellas did that recently when we went to our men's conference. We had Jared Lopes in from Dad Tired, and uh, he shared with us his family benediction that they go over almost every day. A lot of us were rocked by that. I was too. I printed out. It's on my study wall at my home in my study, and I look at it almost daily. I tweaked it just a little bit. A lot of us tweaked it some, but 99% of what I'm about to share with you is Jared Lopes. But here's how that, that goes. I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I am not how I look. I am not what others say about me. I'm the beloved of God. That's who I am. No one can take that from me. I don't have to hurry. I don't have to worry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. And that's something we need reminded of all the time. I'm the beloved of God. That's who I am. When Jesus opens, no one shuts. No one can take that from me. Period. It's permanent. It's permanent. Like when you look in our passage, it says, uh, to the one who conquers. I told you last week, same word like overcomes. We looked at 1 John 5, that all that means is you're a Christian. Because you put your trust in the conqueror, Jesus himself. It just means you're a Christian. And what it says about us is that we become pillars in the temple of God. Now, at first pass, I was like, um, time out. Does that, so that means like, for all of eternity, I'm like a stone column? That, that doesn't sound fun to me. And of course, it is figurative. You won't be moved. You are a pillar. Let, think for a moment. What is the largest immovable object you know? And if you just said, my mother-in-law, repent, that's wrong. That's just wrong. That's, that's wrong, okay? A pillar is what they would, listen, I told you that they experienced earthquakes a lot. Do you know after the earthquakes, the city was just leveled. They would go back into the city, and they found one thing still standing each time. You know what it was? The pillars of the temple. Every time. And Jesus is pulling on that from their experience and saying, Listen, when you come to me, when you're mine, I will make you stand like a pillar. The earth might shake around you. I'll make you stand. You belong to me. Nothing will shake that. And by the way, when the quakes hit, they would all run out of the buildings. They'd run out of the city to be safe. But do you see what Jesus said? Never shall he go out of it. Jesus is saying, you never have to run away from me. You belong to me. You're safe here. I'm taking you home. You're mine. You're mine. 
Do you know why you stand as a pillar? It's not because of you. You're a pillar. You're not the foundation. Jesus is the foundation, and he is so rock solid. I don't know if you notice as we've been going through this passage, did you notice all the I statements? Look at these. I know your works. I have set before you an open door. I will make them come and bow down before you. I will keep you from the hour of trial. I am coming soon. I will make him a pillar. I will write on him the name of my God. What made you think it's about you? And about what you do? It's all about Jesus. He's the foundation. He's stable. He's solid. What he opens, no one shuts. That's why it's permanent. You and I, we're just simply not that powerful. He has the key of David. And I'll tell you what, we haven't even gotten to my favorite part yet. Jesus says that he will write his name on us. Now, if you, what's that mean? What's that mean? Okay, so um, I have two dogs. Thank you to my beloved wife who conned me into the second dog recently. By the way, we're celebrating 29 years today. Thank you. Love that woman dearly, even though she manipulated me into that new puppy. Both our dogs have collars. On both those collars, it has our name. Why? Because if those dogs were ever to get lost, we want people to be able to look at it and go, those dogs belong to the McKees. Those are my dogs. I love them. When you send your kid off to summer camp, you write his or her name in all the belongings, right? That's because you know those cabins are a stinking mess. Things are all over the place. And you want to be able to go, oh, I know to whom this belongs. Because their name's written on it. Right? When, when you send your kid off to school, you write their name on the book bag. Why? Because you want a teacher to be able to go, I know whose book bag this is. Writing your name on something is an issue of ownership. It says this is to whom it belongs. And when God writes his name on you, he's saying that one is mine. That one belongs to me. And when he does that, you got to know that name is not coming off. It's written in permanent marker. (laughs) Which reminded me of this short scene from Toy Story, right? Watch this. Wow, with permanent ink too. Right? That's the way it is. It's permanent ink. Speaking of Toy Story, we're not done with Toy Story because there's a montage of Toy Story that helped me understand this passage like nothing else did. Watch this. We, w- we wouldn't even be together if it weren't for Andy. Look under your boot, Buzz. You too, Jesse. Whose name is written there? Maybe Andy doesn't care about us Of all 
his name on the bottom of their shoes because he was saying that one belongs to me if that toy gets lost I want you to know that one is mine it belongs to me and he writes it in permanent ink too and I want you to know you, you might you might feel like you're small like you don't have much power maybe you're messy Maybe you're one who others might say, there's no way God could love you. There's no way you could belong to him. There's no way you could be a real Christian. But Jesus put an open door before you, and what he opens, no one shuts. And if you walk through that door, then you belong to him. And he writes his name on you with permanent ink. And it's not coming off. You belong to God. You are his beloved. In a moment, we're going to respond in worship. After I pray, the band will be back out. We'll sing that song. Was it, did you notice the coincidence? That's the song that we learned last week. Small coincidence, right? We will be singing that back to our God. I belong to you. But another way we're going to respond. Maybe you've noticed up here we have permanent markers. And also at the end of each aisle so that you can then take one of those and write God's name on the bottom of your shoe. Okay, I'd show you people, but I'm 50, and that was hard enough, right? <clears throat> I, write, I wrote Jesus. Maybe you write God. Maybe you write Yahweh. Don't write Andy. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Ask one of my staff members. I'm like, would, would you do this? Evidently, she loves the soles of her shoes more than Jesus. I'm just saying. So if you want, you take your shoe off. You write it on your foot, unless your foot stinks like a middle schooler. Like, don't do that, right? Whatever you need to do to worship Jesus. While the music's playing, while we're singing, you go and you, you write that up here on your shoe. And if you don't feel comfortable, that's fine. Then just where you are, you stand there, you sing out twice as hard, and next week you double your giving. No, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. Scratch that. That's not a thing. Well, we're going to worship him because we belong to him. Would you stand with me? Ancient of all days, we come before you right now because we belong to you, which is just a mind-blowing thought. Lord God, I admit I am messy. That list I gave nails me. I'm sure many would say there's no way that I should belong to you. And yet you opened the door and many of us went through it and we belong to you and you write your name on us with permanent ink too. And so we gather before you right now to worship you and to love you right back. And so receive our worship, we pray in Christ's name.